I'm going to be reading uh, Mark 2, 1 through 12, and then 3, 1 through 6. And when, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get there, get him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down. The, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned with themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, It is lawful on the... It, and he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man stretch out your hand he stretched it out and his hand was restored the pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the herodians against him how to destroy him amen thank you you can be seated let's pray together god it's a blessing uh, to be able to come and to hear your word and to put our lives uh, under your word. God, we uh, admit that it's so easy for us to be um, complacent and to uh, try to act like we've got it all together. Uh, but we want to come today uh, humbly and honestly before you, asking for your help because we need it. In Christ's name, amen. I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of, of YouTube because I've learned a lot from YouTube. Uh, I'm convinced one of the groups that most benefits from YouTube are all the people that are trying to fix something. Am I the only one? Anybody try to fix something and you use YouTube to fix it? Yeah, it's so helpful. Uh, anytime and every time there's something that needs repair, there's probably a YouTube video explaining what you need to do it to do. Whether it's uh, you know fixing the plumbing on a sink or running some kind of electrical uh, outlet or using a miter saw. Whatever it is you need to do, I can almost guarantee there is a YouTube video uh, to how to fix it. I, I've never been super duper handy, never had a whole lot of reasons to be handy, uh, but 
you know, we bought a house and it was like, I can't pay somebody to fix everything needs to be done. So I got to figure some things out. You know what I mean? So it's been kind of neat. I've learned some things through YouTube. I've kind of, you know, but uh, I, I have also learned another lesson. There's, there's a limit to how much YouTube can get you to. You know what I mean? Like there's a reason why people are professional electricians and plumbers, right? You know, like I didn't pick those because you were going to be rough. And here we are, you know, like there's a reason for that. And I have learned, um, you know, good, you know, the, the right way and the wrong way of where my limit is. One of the not so good ways was, uh, you know, when he had to redo some electrical stuff around the dryer. And I thought, you know, 240 amp outlet, I can do that, right? Just watch a YouTube video on it. Well, after I got shocked really good, uh, I called a guy and, uh, and he helped me out with what to do there, you know. Another one that I thankfully have learned, I, I, I was patient with, and I, I learned this before I made the mistake myself, was we, we have a lot of trees, you know, and uh, I've spent a lot of time with the chainsaw, but always with my feet on the ground, you know, like chainsaw, but my feet are on the ground. Uh, and, but I need work done that isn't possible with my feet on the ground, like all these dead limbs and all this stuff. And so, uh, you know, YouTube, but you go to YouTube and put words in like, chainsaw and high or ladder and mostly you get like blooper videos you know of really not smart things that people uh, have done so thankfully I did not uh, do that one trial and error I called a guy and uh, he came this Monday and it was amazing like there's a reason after 30 years he's as good at he what he does you know I, am, I can't do what he did it was incredible I watched him you know climbing these trees and doing all this work and uh, I, that was one of the things I, I cannot fix this myself I could not have done the work on my trees that that guy did. I could not have fixed that myself. I needed help, and somebody came and fixed it for me. We are going through the book of Mark, the first half of the book of Mark this fall, and we have seen that this gospel writer, Mark, is doing everything he can to introduce us to this incredible Savior, Jesus. He is fast-paced, and things are moving quickly from one account to another so that you can encounter this Jesus and hear the same invitation that those first disciples had when we, like them, are invited to follow Him. That's what we're calling this series, Follow Me. And one of the reasons that I think that Mark is, is, is trying to, to introduce us to so many different things about Jesus is that he wants to tell you that, that Jesus can fix some things that you can't. Jesus can solve some problems, and He can fix some things that are broken that you and I have no power on our own to fix. That's going to bring us uh, to uh, an important few uh, examples here in just uh, uh, one chapter and a little more today. And, and if you're anything like me, it can be really hard to admit that I can't fix something. Like, I, I, I want to believe that with YouTube or a phone call or with some hard work and determination, I can fix anything and everything I set my mind to. But God's Word is going to be clear to us today. There are some things, really important things, that we cannot fix on our own. And really what we're going to see in our passage today is, is a split, a division. Some people acknowledge that. They can't fix everything while others are still trying to hold on and fix everything themselves. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the end before I even start, is which group are you going to be in? Are you going to be in the group that says, yep, I, I need some help, a lot of help? <laughs> or are you going to hold on and say, no, I, I think I can handle this on my own? The first person that needs help in our passage today is a man who is paralyzed. 
He can do nothing about his own paralysis. But for whatever reason, he and four friends are convinced they know somebody who can. Jesus is in Capernaum and he's teaching what seems like probably in his own home. And so many people have come into the home that nobody, they're, they're, they're busting out the door. Nobody can get in because it's so full. But it doesn't stop this group of five guys. They've got a, they've got a plan. They're going to find a way to get to Jesus. They hop up on the roof and dig a hole out of the roof, a man-sized hole, and lower him down in to see Jesus. You and I may uh, be able to walk here today, but we probably all can sympathize with him in that we've, we've got some things that we need to be fixed, don't we? we? We've got some issues in our life. We've got struggles and pains and sorrows, whether they be physical ailments or emotional or relational or financial. We have things that need to be fixed. And like this man, do we know where to go with it? Do we know where to go, the one that can fix it? I want you to picture what it would be like to be in somebody's home or in this building and somebody's teaching and things are going normal and then all of a sudden a little dirt falls from the, the dirt ceiling and a little more and a little more and eventually there's a hole and you can see through it and then you see five heads you know, poking out and then a guy lowering on a bed down in front. I mean, imagine, I mean, I, I, I'm sure Jesus had to stop wherever he was teaching and address this issue, address what was going on about that. I hope he wasn't too upset, or maybe they'd repaired their own hole. I don't know. A golf, you repair your own divots, I guess. I don't know. But they, they dug through the hole, and they brought him to Jesus. This group realized this is a problem. His paralysis is a problem they, they can't fix. And they're coming to Jesus to see if he can. They believed he could do it. They knew YouTube wasn't going to work. They knew hard work wasn't going to work. Creativity wasn't going to solve this man's paralysis. He can't walk, and nobody can fix it except for maybe Jesus. Maybe you can connect with that, and you say, I, I, need, to, I need to come to Jesus today. All of us would be wise to, to take a play out of this guy's playbook, these, these, these five guys. They, they didn't stop at anything. They were creative. They were willing to jump over whatever it took, climb up on whatever it took, dive, dig into whatever it takes to get in front of Jesus. You'll be right to move whatever is blocking you to bring your problems and your issues and bring them all to Jesus. Say, this, this is my problem, Jesus, and I need you to fix it. That's good. But I will tell you that sometimes when you get to Jesus and you tell Him all of your problems, physical, emotional, financial, whatever it may be, relational, you put them all at Jesus' feet, Sometimes he doesn't do what you expect him to do. Sometimes he doesn't address the problem that you presented him with. Sometimes he does something far more important. This man has just been lowered on a mat because he can't walk in front of Jesus. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I hope you know enough about Jesus to know that he's not foolish, nor is he oblivious. If a man comes to a man who has previously done miracles, on a mat, who can't walk, the man doesn't have to tell Jesus why he's there. We know why he's there. He wants to walk again. He, he can't walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven? He addressed a problem, but it wasn't the problem that he came for asking for help. You see, this paralyzed man and his four friends as they're, you know, imagine they're peering through the hole up there. Jesus looks at them and it says that he saw they had faith. 
They had faith. All of them had faith. What kind of faith did they have? They had faith that Jesus heals broken people. And that's what I want you to hear today. That's the first point in your outline if you get a bulletin on the way in. Jesus heals broken people. And here's what's remarkable. Jesus healed broken people who didn't even realize how broken they were. They came for one kind of brokenness, and Jesus healed a much deeper, much more important, much more significant, and eternal brokenness. They had faith. They came to Him with their problem. But then Jesus healed a much more important one first. So whatever your problem is, absolutely bring it to Jesus. Admit your need. Be honest. I can't walk, Jesus. I can't do this. I can't do that. I need you to do this. I can't do it on my own. But when you bring it to Him, submit to Him, and recognize that He's not limited to addressing just that problem. He very well may address a much more important one than you think you have. If your check engine light's on in your car, and you think, oh, I just you know, got a loose wire somewhere, you would much rather your mechanic find a bigger issue in your car, you know? Belts, serpentine belts, about to fall apart, whatever it is. Something's about to explode. You thought it was little, you'd much rather him address the bigger issue. Jesus almost always addresses our deeper issue, our brokenness, our deeper sin, before he addresses the problems that we think of. If you have a physical brokenness, a spirit, if you have a physical brokenness and a spiritual brokenness, we much more need Jesus to handle our spiritual need. Because you know what, at the, at the very worst, any kind of physical ailment we may have, at worst can last a lifetime, and then it's done. But your sin, our spiritual problem, it would last for an eternity if Jesus doesn't heal that. We absolutely need Him to handle our sin way more important than handling our physical problem. So Jesus looks at this man who has a problem, and he addresses his bigger problem when he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. But you'll notice when Jesus did that, he created a massive problem for himself. Remember, there is a crowd there. And up to this point, this crowd has been growing. A number of people have been following him. And so far, we haven't really heard anybody being against Jesus. Sure, there's been demons he's cast out. They've never been for Jesus, but they haven't really been a problem to him. He's been able to get rid of them. Maybe in the crowd there were some people who were sold out for him, some people that were kind of still on the fence. But when Jesus speaks those words, Son, your sins are forgiven, he creates a problem. Because there are some people in the crowd who don't like that. The scribes were religious leaders of the time, and they were, some of them were in the crowd. And when he said that, they had a thought come into their mind. Notice, they didn't say this out loud. They just thought it. Here was their thought. Verse 7, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is Jesus. And he knew that's what they were thinking. So there's the first little you know, indicator. This guy isn't just a regular old guy. All through the Old Testament, we have these images and descriptions of God as being all-knowing or omniscient. And so Jesus is here in a home, standing over a paralyzed man, and he knows what the people in the crowd are thinking. They didn't write it on a sign, you know, or just read it. He knew what they were thinking. 
And then he gives them another clue about his identity. Verse 8, he says, Why do you question these things in your hearts? You see, Jesus, when they, when they addressed the problem they had, they said, Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were right. They were absolutely right that only God can forgive. What they didn't understand is that God was standing right there in front of them. Jesus is fully God. Fully God from fully God. The Son of the Father. Jesus is God and He's standing there with these people. And they didn't understand it. That God was with them. And because He is God, He has the authority to address our deeper needs, our spiritual needs. That's why He can say to this person, Son, your sins are forgiven. All of our sins are against God, ultimately. And so only God can forgive sins. You know, if I uh, got mad at Aaron, you know, y'all know Aaron, does a great job up here. If I got mad at Aaron because he wasn't, you know, playing my favorite songs or something, you know, and we got together at our next elders meeting, and I just walked up and kicked him in the shin, you know, because I was mad at him. You know what Travis couldn't do? Travis couldn't say, Philip, your sins are forgiven. You know why? I didn't kick Travis. I kicked Aaron. If Travis said that, Aaron say, hey, wait a second, right? I sinned against Aaron. Only Aaron can forgive me. And so it is here for Jesus. Jesus has the authority to forgive this man's sins because all of our sins, including that man's, have been against Jesus because Jesus is fully God. Jesus comes to us as a Savior because He has the authority. He can heal broken people and He can forgive our sins. But the crowd's skeptical. And so He addresses that. He says in verse 9, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? And when you think about it, that's a pretty masterful question, isn't it? Because which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, pick up your bed and walk? Well, of course, in one sense, it'd be easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no test of that. You can't just, like, you know, see that. If you say, rise, pick up your bed and walk, and he doesn't, well, okay, proof's in the pudding there. But in reality, of course, it's much harder to forgive sins. And Jesus knows ultimately it's going to cost him going to the cross to be able to pay for that. Jesus asked that question, but then proves his authority by doing both. Verse 10 and 11, he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And they're amazed. They're amazed. Jesus has proved that he truly is God by healing both the spiritual and the physical need. Jesus was making an, an awfully big statement about who he is. He is Lord over all. He is Lord over all sins, all thing that's ever been done. He is in charge. He was the one through whom all creation was made. In Him we live and move and have our being. This is the Son of Man. This is the Messiah. Son of Man may feel like just a, a way of talking about a, a human, but the scribes knew exactly who He was talking about when He said that. That's a, def, a reference to Daniel chapter 7, this incredible and mysterious prophetic vision that Daniel has of one who looks like a man and yet has these divine powers. And so when Jesus claims that title for himself, he is putting himself in a very divine position. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. And that's why Jesus has the authority to heal broken people. 
Do you see your brokenness? Do you see your physical problems and your relational problems and your financial problems? And do you see your spiritual problem? That you and I are sinners in need of a Savior. We need somebody to come and to heal us, not just on the outside, but on the inside. And we see that happen for one man, a paralyzed man, who has a certain kind of brokenness. And right after it, we see it happen with another man and a different kind of brokenness. A man named Levi is a tax collector. And just like this paralyzed man had a physical and spiritual need, now this guy, Levi, has a spiritual need, but he also has a social, a relational need, an issue between him and the rest of society. You see, this guy would not have been very popular. Jesus uh, was teaching along the sea, and as he's teaching, he sees his tax collector, Levi, and by where he is, uh, the, the commentators think he's probably uh, like a, a toll booth collector. He's, he's at a crossroads, and anybody bringing in anything uh, merchant-wise had to, would pay a certain tax. And uh, we, uh, so that means he, he's got the job that, that our, our friend Joy has, the toll booth collector. But unlike our friend Joy, Joy is you know, everybody's favorite person. Levi, as a tax collector, toll booth guy, not everybody's favorite person. Because here's why, working for that in that position means he was working for the Roman government, the one that was uh, authority and authority in, in suppressing all the, all the land of Israel, all the Jewish people. And these guys were notorious for charging more than they were supposed to so they could fill their own pockets. Most of the society thought of all these tax collectors as both traitors and thieves. And somehow along the line, this guy Levi, the other places he's called Matthew, probably the same guy. Levi, he recognizes he has a problem. And Jesus extends to him the same invitation that he extended to the four fishermen we saw last week. He said, follow me. Now, if you're a fisherman, you get up and you leave your business. You know what happens if everything goes south? You could probably go find another net. You could probably go back to fishermen, being a fisherman. You know what a toll booth collector can't do? He can't go back to that job. When he walks away from that, that spot's going to be filled. His job is, is gone. Levi has left everything. And somehow, someway, he recognizes, I've got a problem, and this guy is the one who can fix it. I love this. We've got a paralytic who comes to Jesus for healing, and we've got a traitor and a thief coming to Jesus. Sinners who recognize they need a Savior because this is Jesus, and He heals broken people. And you see what Levi does the very next thing? He invites a whole bunch of people. This is a sign of a sinner who recognizes this Savior is for real because he gets a whole bunch of his buddies, a bunch of other tax collectors and sinners, and they all come over to Levi's house, and Jesus, he invites Jesus over, and they have a meal. And of course, with every good thing Jesus does, the opposition crowd gets louder and louder. Verse 16, that same Pharisee group who was upset at him now says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In that society, having dinner, eating at a table with somebody much like ours, when you have dinner with somebody, you're saying, we're, we're, we're equals. We're sitting down at the table together. And so the Pharisees are like, how could you stoop to their level? And Jesus responds with such perfect wisdom. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but, those who are, but only those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. You see what he's saying there? He's saying these guys, they're sinners, and they know it. And I'm here because I'm bringing salvation. 
Jesus heals broken people, it's not that the scribes and the Pharisees weren't broken, they just don't know it. And that's the division. That's what separates two groups in this passage. The rest of it follows these scribes and the Pharisees, and they're trying to keep the law. They don't know that they are broken. And oh, how hard that is. Do you see your brokenness? Do you know that we need a Savior? It's so much easier to point to other people's brokenness, right? Like as your pastor, you and I talk. I I can point out your brokenness. It's easier for me to talk about your sin. I don't want to talk about my sin. That's not fun. I don't enjoy that. It's easier to point out things that have happened to us, ways we've suffered, and Jesus can heal those. He absolutely can. But so often, Jesus wants to go deep and He wants to go personal. He wants to heal you. But the only way He can heal you is if you know you're sick. Nobody goes to the doctor asking for a life-saving procedure if they think they're healthy. Jesus is saying, you've got to see that you're a sinner in need of salvation. These next three short little episodes in Mark all center around this religious group of people, the scribes and the Pharisees, who think that they're, they're just fine. And I love how Mark is, is taking these together. This is what happens when we go through a whole book in order here. You've got three episodes of people who they, they recognize they, they need help, right? A, a paralyzed man, Levi, and then a whole dinner crowd worth of sinners and tax collectors. And then you've got three episodes where the scribes and Pharisees are rebuking Jesus because they think they're following God better than He is. And you see these two groups together And as you go through it, I hope you're going to say, man, I'm a sinner. I want to be in the first crowd. This first group, what they they fail to see is that keeping the rules doesn't heal broken people. Keeping the rules does not heal broken people. Three times the Pharisees try to call out Jesus and his disciples for what they think goes against the Old Testament law. And even as I say that out loud, like I just, I cannot imagine the audacity. They just don't know who this is. This is the guy who is the Word of God. He he gave us the Word. And yet these guys are like, "Um, excuse me, have you read section 4, paragraph 3, line 6? I think you're breaking it, you know? Can you imagine that? This is Jesus. And they're trying to call him out. Look at what happens. I know we didn't have a chance to read all of this, but follow along these passages with me. Verse 18, it says, They questioned Jesus about, about his disciples not fasting. Right? Verse 23, they rebuke Jesus about his disciples plucking grain to eat as they walk uh, through on the Sabbath. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, they're sitting back and waiting to trap Jesus into doing a healing in the synagogue on the Sabbath. I mean, these don't exactly sound like class one felonies, right? Like none of these should deserve capital punishment, except for in their eyes, it should. Like breaking the Sabbath, they want to kill Jesus because of these things right here. Not fasting, plucking grain to eat, and healing a man's withered hand. That's what they're going to come after. What what is going on here? Why, Why are they so upset at Jesus? You see, Jesus, he is bringing up their whole way of life, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's saying, you've got it all wrong. All wrong. You see, for these religious rulers, the way they think they can find joy and satisfaction and to be right in God's eyes is by obeying all the rules. If they can keep all the rules, if they can do everything that's right, then they'll be good. And if that is your strategy, 
for getting into heaven and to being fulfilled in life is to obey all the rules, you know what you'll do? Is you'll take the rules and you'll keep adding to it so that you don't get anywhere close to it. Right? You don't want to get anywhere close to breaking the rules. And so Jesus and his disciples, in none of these cases do they actually break the law. What they're going against is the traditions of the Pharisees, the traditions of the scribes, and the way they've added on to it. Fasting is not a law. It's a choice you make in order to be dependent on God and uh, rely on Him. Deuteronomy 23:25 specifically permits people to walk through a field that's not even their own and pick grain by hand and eat it. It stops you from harvesting it with a sickle, but says nothing about the Sabbath. And yet the Pharisees have added that on to the law. And then where there is a man who needs healing, and this could not be any more ridiculous, but they think healing a man's hand classifies as work on the Sabbath. And here's why keeping the rules doesn't, doesn't heal broken people. First of all, actually, nobody can actually keep all the rules, right? You can try to outwardly keep all the rules, but we're never really keeping them like we should. But secondly, even when someone technically follows the rules outwardly, what happens is that we become our own saviors. It's a self-salvation strategy. And we begin to grow hard-hearted toward other people. You see, this is how you recognize this temptation to be in this second crowd, to act like we don't need His help. It's when you start looking at other people and saying, those people, they need God's help. When these scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus hanging out with the wrong crowd, they pointed fingers and they were looking down. They were elevating themselves. We got it all together and they don't. The gospel of Jesus Christ says we are far more sinful than we ever thought or imagined. And so that humbles us. We're not going to put ourselves on a pedestal above anybody. We're not going to look down on anybody else's sin. We're going to say, hey, I've been in that pit too. And here's how you get out. His name is Jesus. We don't put ourselves above anybody. We just lift up Jesus as the answer. If we go around in life looking down on somebody, then we're putting ourselves, we're tempted by this legalistic, pharisaical, acting like a Pharisee type mentality of saying, I'm keeping rules, and so I'm okay. So let me just put that out there for you. Who, who, who are you tempted to look down on? We did a whole series in August about the gospel and race. Is that, is that a category of people? Do you look at somebody by the color of their skin and elevate yourself, put people in different statuses? Maybe it's socioeconomic. Maybe you look at somebody who's really wealthy and just think, those snobs, you know, or whatever. Maybe you look down on people who don't have as much as you or didn't go to school like you did or, or has a different career. Is there a group of people that you're saying, I can't believe you'd be committed to that sin? I can't believe addiction has got a hold of your life. I can't believe this out of the other. Is there a group of people you're looking down on? If so, you've forgotten that Jesus is the only one who heals broken people. And we are those broken people. We've got to be careful if we start throwing around God's law as a way of putting other people down. Jesus asked what should be the most simple question to answer. In Mark 3, 4, He says, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to, to do harm, to save life or kill? Right? Like the, they've been peppering Him with questions. He turns around and asks them a question. This is an easy one. This is a softball one. Right? Like, here you go. Here's an answer. It's, it's lawful to do things that are life-giving. Right? It's not lawful to kill on the Sabbath. That was an easy answer. You know what they say? 
nothing. They are silent. Because they are so caught up in their worldview of just trying to keep all the rules that they know to answer his question would go against their traditions. The Pharisees have tried to save themselves by keeping all the rules and laws. They are legalists. And it's leading to their own condemnation. Their hearts are far more withered than this man's hand. Their hearts are hard and in desperate need of a Savior. Legalists and Pharisees still exist today. And the reason I know that is because I'm one of them. More often than not, this is my temptation. To try to obey all the rules, do all the right things, preach enough sermons, do good things in order to feel better about myself, in order to say, I, I'm, I'm okay today because I made it through my list of ministry job things, right? There's a temptation to say, I think I got it all figured out because of my actions. And I'll tell you, it's exhausting because we never truly measure up. We never truly live up to the law. And it's absolutely exhausting. But praise God, He is offering something better. He is offering something better through His Son, Jesus Christ. Each time the Pharisees question Jesus, He has a powerful reply. And I want you to hear in the way that Jesus responds to this, responds to the Pharisees, that there is a better way. He responds about the fasting. Fasting is a sign of mourning or repenting. And He's saying, these guys are in a time of celebration. They're, they're walking with the bridegroom, the Savior, the Messiah is here. Of course, they're not going to work on mourning right now. There'll be a season, but right now they're with Jesus. He clarifies he hasn't come into the world just like a, a patch on an old garment or, or an old wine skin, a new wine skin for old wine. He, he's, he's a whole new thing. This is a whole new kingdom that Jesus is bringing into the world. And this kingdom is one that affects everything from our hearts outward. You see, keeping the rules does not heal broken people. But when Jesus heals us, it changes everything. And healed people keep the rules. <laughs> brokenness, our brokenness isn't solved by rule keeping. Keeping the rules doesn't heal broken people, but healed people keep the rules. Jesus is not throwing out all of the Old Testament. He's not abandoning the Sabbath. The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's a good thing to rest. But he's contradicting this strict legalistic worldview. And as he's saying, there's something better. Jesus says in Mark 2, 27-28, The Sabbath was not made for man, but man... Sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift to us. It is a gift and a gracious thing that we can stop working one day in seven and trust God to still provide for us. It's, it's a miracle that you can produce enough to eat in six days and be okay without working on the seventh. That's a gift. That didn't, we're not, we're not merit, we don't deserve that. That's not something we're entitled to. But it's a gift that God has given us. God has given us this free gift of grace so that we can rest and trust He's in control and I'm not. You know, every night you go to sleep, right? You know what sleep tells you? Sleep tells you that you're not God. You aren't keeping the world spinning. You go to sleep and you can't do anything. You wake up and the sun came up without you. You had nothing to do with it. And God did it. Sabbath is like that. It's stopping. It's putting put pencils down, plows down, stopping for one day in seven and saying, 
God's got this. That's not a, a legalistic way of earning your status before God. You say, see God, I, I didn't walk so many steps or I didn't do any work today. What? No, don't. this is a gift. It's a gift to say, rest in me. Trust that I am in control. Fasting is the same way. We don't fast because we say, I have to do this in order for God to like me. We fast to say, I'm skipping this meal. I'm laying this thing down because I'm reminding my own heart that God and God alone is what I need above everything else. Healed people keep the laws because it's a way of following God and enjoying time with Him. By the time we get to chapter 3, this crowd, this religious crowd, is getting furious with Jesus. He is not, they are not liking the way that He is leading them. And the final straw is this healing of the, the man's withered hand. That's why I wanted to make sure you, you heard that one read before we started. Jesus calls this man. He says, come to me. It's like he's standing in the middle of the synagogue. He's not over in the corner hiding. He's not going to try to do this in secret. He says, come to me. And then he tells him, Mark 3, 5, stretch out your hand. And as he stretched it out, his hand was restored. For the Jewish leaders, this was the final straw. From this point forward in the Gospel of Mark, he's headed to the cross. Jesus is headed to the cross. Because see, this is what happened. It says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. That group, Herodians, means people who are, are fans of or followers or devoted to Herod, which is another form of the Roman government. So these Pharisees who are religious and this political group, the Herodians, they shouldn't have anything in common. The Pharisees are against the Roman invasion, they're against the Roman government, and the Herodians are for it. They're, they should be diametrically opposed. But now they're united by a common enemy, Jesus. They're willing to work together on this. And Jesus knew it was coming. Here's what I want to leave you with. The only way that Jesus can heal broken people is that Jesus was broken Himself in bringing us healing. Jesus did these miracles. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus worked to bring restoration and wholeness and life to these people. And he knew the only way it would happen is if he was willing to be broken himself. Jesus was broken to bring us healing. Five different times in this little over a chapter, the, the people are coming against him. The scribes and the Pharisees are coming against him. And every time Jesus shows love and compassion to the sinner and the outcast. He knew that if he was going to keep showing love like this, it was going to cost him his life. And he did it anyway. Isaiah 53 tells us, Surely He has borne our griefs, He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. The only way you and I can be healed from our brokenness is because Jesus was willing to go to the cross in our place. We have sinned against God. We have kicked God in the shin. And Jesus was willing to pay for that sin personally on the cross. What Jesus has to offer you and me today is nothing short of healing. Full and complete restoration. It may not look like you want. It may not be the exact answer to the question you're asking but Jesus heals broken people, and the reason why I know that is that He was willing to be broken for you so that you may be healed. 
you are here today or watching online. And I pray that you're worshiping with us because you want to be healed. Because you want God to heal you. It is possible to come and to sit in these seats or to stand here behind a podium or to tune in online as one more thing that you put on your resume before God and say, look, God, I'm checking the boxes. I'm doing church things. Don't you think highly of me? Because I came to church. I did ministry. I was good enough today. But it's just the path of the Pharisees. The only way to come before God is to say, God, I am a broken person in need of a Savior. Is that where you are today? Can you confess your sin before God and say, God, I, I know you don't love me because of something I did. He loves us because He created us and He was willing to send His Son to die for us. We're all sinners. We're all broken. But the good news is that Jesus heals broken people. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your salvation that we know that You accomplished at great cost to Yourself. God, for what Jesus did here on this earth, we're just, we're astonished and we're amazed and we're so thankful. God, it'd be so easy for Him to see the, the crowds and knowing the evil in their hearts, it'd have been so easy for Him just to walk away and to say, these people don't deserve it. And He'd be absolutely right. We do not deserve it. Which is why we're all the more thankful for the grace You show us. God, we want to lay before You even now all the times where we try to earn our way before you, to make a list and to check it off and say, God, this is, this is why I deserve grace. But God, we, we want to confess today, we know deep in our hearts, there's nothing we could ever do to deserve your grace. God, forgive us for thinking we're special, for looking down on other people and thinking we've, we've earned something. God, bring us back Humble us once again so that we're reminded that the only way we're healed is by grace. God, thank you for Jesus' authority. Thank you for your power. Thank you for healing all kinds of brokenness, but especially our sin. As the band begins to sing, I'm going to let, let you have just another moment to pray to God. Maybe today you want to lay, out, lay down a sin before Him and say, this is a way I have not turned from my sin and turned to you. Maybe you want to lay that before Him at the altar or come pray with me even. Maybe you need to confess your brokenness and say, I've been trying to turn to all kinds of other things to solve this, but what I really need is Jesus. I want to encourage you to lay it down before Him in faith that He heals. Lord, we thank You for Your power. We thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for Your healing. And we thank You for Your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.